Hi again, everybody. Welcome in to another episode of the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. I'm Scott Agnes. Well, this is an episode I've been wanting to do for quite a long time. It's actually one of the episodes uh, that pushed me to start this Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. He's a guy you wouldn't recognize. He's a guy you maybe never heard of. But he's a guy that plays a critical part in what the Pacers do day in and day out and how they prepare for every single game. He's on the road more than 200 days a year. Each season, he sees every single team, the other 29 teams, probably at least a dozen times in person. And he's the one that compiles the plays and sets and the intentions of every other team throughout the NBA. I'm talking about Jimmy Powell, the advanced scout for the Indiana Pacers. So I'm sitting here in the quote-unquote offseason here with Jimmy Powell. Of course, there's no offseason in the NBA anymore. But Jimmy, thanks so much, first of all, for, for taking the time. Let's get into uh, your love for basketball and where you got started uh, early on. You have a con- great connection with Donnie Walsh, don't you? Yeah, it all, it all starts with Donnie. Um, I've known Donnie since I was in the sixth grade. His dad and my dad were friends. And the connection goes on to Frank McGuire. You know, Donnie played for Frank McGuire at North Carolina, and then he coached for Frank McGuire at South Carolina. At that point, when he was a coach, you know, I was into basketball, and, you know, I was a pretty highly recruited player out of New York City in the Bronx, where Donnie's from, and uh, uh, Donnie recruited me to South Carolina. So I played for Donnie and Frank McGuire at South Carolina, and that's where it all started for me. You know, Donnie has always been my mentor, and you know, someone I've always looked up to and taken advice from. He's always given me great advice, and it's been a very important part of my life. And, uh, but, you know, after I left college, I went on to coaching myself. I became, I was a head coach in college, and, um, you know, I took the college route, and Donnie at that point was in the NBA, and I always hoped somehow I would get into the NBA. It's every kid's dream to be in the NBA. Sure, yeah. You know, first of all, to play in the NBA, because, you know, I was a pretty good player, and not good enough to play in the NBA, but it was always my dream. You know, like kids want to be a baseball player. But yeah. Wasn't it all for all of us? <laughs> exactly. You see the best of the best. Exactly. Man, I want to be part of that. Right. So um, I went the coaching route. That was the closest I could get to staying in a game I loved. You know, I think the best advice I ever got when I was young was someone said, if you really want to be happy, try to exploit something you love mm-hmm. to make a living at and I said, you know, that's pretty good advice. And that's what I did. So I went out to coaching. I, I was a college, head college coach at American International for 16 years. And then I had an opportunity to go into the NBA uh, as an assistant coach. And I was brought in by kind of that other connection that goes along with Donnie and myself, Brian Winters, who is right. a, uh, a scout for us now. Brian was uh, a great player at South Carolina where we, we played together at South Carolina and then went on to the pros, had a great pro career. And then he went into coaching. You know, and after me being in college for a long time and him finishing his pro career and going on to being a success, successful assist, assistant, he, um, he got a head coaching job and he called me. He said, would you like to be my assistant? I said, are you kidding me? That was always my dream to go to the NBA. So I went as an assistant coach. And I was his assistant coach in Vancouver for two years. And then we both went to Denver after that. We got fired in Vancouver and then went on to Denver. Bill Hanslick was the head coach. And then got fired again, as you'd usually do in the NBA. It's just kind of a, you know, that's... That's a tough thing in the business. That's a tough, exactly. It's unpredictable. It's unpredictable. I had a young family and I was moved to Vancouver, then to Denver. And I'm saying, you know, I just can't keep this up. 
So I got the best call I ever got when I got fired in Denver, and that was from Donnie. He said, would you like to come here? He says, but I got a different role for you. I said, Donnie, yeah, I think I'd rather be attach myself back to you. Yeah. <laughs> I feel secure, and I know where I stand at all times. He said, okay, we have a position open for an advanced scout, and it'll be a little more secure. And I said, great. I said, he said, you can live, you can move back to your home and back in Massachusetts and work out of there. Because, you know, I travel, you know, I go everywhere, and it doesn't matter where I live. And that's really how it got going, him giving me that phone call saying, you know, would you like to fill this position? And it was really Larry's second year, and all those great teams with Reggie and mm-hmm. the Dale Davises. And, so, um, so you have Donnie, and then you also have a, something yeah, special going yeah, on here. Yeah, and the second year we went to the finals, and I'm sitting behind the bench in the finals with the Lakers. Dream come true. Yeah, and Larry Bird's coaching the team. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. So that's when it started, and, and you know, I've been, there, been here ever since. Um, I kind of said to myself, you know, you know I've, I've coached for a long time, and, you know, I need a little more security, and I need to, you know, keep my family grounded and rooted back where we were from, and this job provided that, you know. I mean, I could have 15 years ago said, you know, I've done this enough. I want to get back into coaching, which I love to do. And I, and I just said to myself, no. You know, I'm more into having my family being happy. And the problem with the NBA is it is very glamorous and, you know, all that goes with it. But. But, you know, there's a lot of divorce. There's a lot of people who are coaches don't live in the same city as their family. And I just wasn't about to do that. And I, and I got lucky here. I mean, this is. People don't understand, but I do because I've been in this league almost, you know, my 19, well, I've been over 20 years counting those other stops, is that it all starts with the owner. When you have like a Simons, uh, the Simon family, that's what you look at. When you got good ownership, you know there's going to be stability. They're always going to give you a chance to win, and they're going to create a good environment. If there are 30 teams in the NBA, there's probably 15 or 18 of them that have that kind of environment and I knew when I got to that I was going to stay yeah I didn't have that in those other places Vancouver was just getting going it was a new franchise you know really didn't think it was going to make it in Canada then Denver was a mess with the ownership and I said this is what it's all about I said it's really not for me but then when I came here I found out when you have good ownership everything else falls in play you know so that's why I feel like I've been here this long because of the Simons and Donnie and then Larry. You have stability from the top. You got the Simons and you had Donnie's long tenure yep. and now Larry's long tenure. And Larry's into it and he wants to rebuild it. And uh, So, you know, you don't want to leave those kind of situations. You hit on a lot there. Let's first go back. Playing for Donnie Walsh, what kind of coach was he? To Don, Donnie was a very good coach. Donnie's Donnie's got that that great quality of being a very bright man and being a basketball person. You know, a lot of times in this league, you're going to separate those. There's guys who, you know, are, are administrative and general manager type guys, and really not don't have much of a background in basketball. They sure. come in through maybe analytics or however they come in. Well, he came in through coaching and into being a great executive. But he was a very good coach. You know, he had great teachers. Dean Smith and, and Frank McGuire were his two teachers. So that carried over to me, that influence, uh, you know, of him, you know, uh, being a, a good coach and teaching me the game. 
you talk about your connection with him, Brian Winters, who's also on staff here. The NBA family, the NBA coaching community is such tight-knit that, to me, from the outside, once you're in that bubble, then you're kind of in, and I think you can maneuver around yeah. and find your yeah, jobs. Yeah. But until you break that bubble, it can be awfully tough from that outside. It, it is. is. that right? It, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I get a lot of emails from young kids that want to get into, how can I get into the league? And, and, and I'm saying, you know, I mean, the best way is to start as an intern, maybe a video, and try to work your way into some organization. But really, you, you really have to know somebody. And that's how a lot of people get in. They get in by knowing somebody. I mean, I had a very strong basketball background, but I didn't get in because of my basketball. I get in because of Brian Winters, and I stayed in because of Donnie Walsh. So, you know, I mean, you have to, you have to like anything in life, you know, you have to have some type of a connection. And, you know, you can, there's other guys that have come in, you know, working their way through the video room and up and, and, and making their connection when they got their foot in the door. But it's... It's hard to get your foot in the door because there's so many people that want to do it. So many people. I mean, people will sacrifice, making no money. And that's a key point right there. there how many of those hundred emails say you get? I would guess twenty are willing to work for it. The other it just sounds glamorous, and I want to be on the bench, and I want to be there for the finals. Those twenty will bust their ass and be like a Frank Vogel who'll go into go into a video room and right. then be in a scout. A lot of people don't know. In between for a few years, he was a scout. He was a scout. Then he got picked up by J.O.B. Right. And got back into the yeah. on the assistant yeah. coaching room. Right. But he got in through Patino. He worked mm-hmm. for Patino at yep. Kentucky. Patino went to the NBA and brought him with him. That's how Frank got in, and he knew somebody. But he earned it. I mean, he worked. He's right. done everything, video, scouting, and now assistant coach, and, and now head coach. So, yeah, I mean, there are different ways, but... Uh, you know, it's 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 not an easy profession to get into, as it would be, let's say, you know, other you know insurance and other other sure. areas where there's more opportunities. There's not a lot of opportunities. I think back a lot of the ways now more than ever. It seems like is through the video room. I think here it is. Jared Simpson's trying to go yes. that route here yes. as an assistant video coordinator. Yeah. Uh, like Vogel, Eric Spolster came up that way. If you're not a glamorous or a popular successful college coach a billy donovan a brad stevens right that seems now to be becoming the traditional route right and it wasn't that way when i first when i first came to the nba in 1995 um it wasn't that way we were all coaches okay. there was the video rooms were small there was one guy in that room and he the big bhs <laughs> and 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 now it's all digital yeah and yeah, it's, yeah and it's which like, hard we had they had two machines and, it, you know, that part of it wasn't established yet. So everybody was a coach. We all coached. I had, my, I had an extensive background in coaching and playing. So you're a video guy. You're assistant coach. You were a player development yeah, coach. I was, and you can get in that way, too, mm-hmm. where you, you really couldn't get in that way when I was getting in. Um, you, it, it was just starting. I shouldn't say you couldn't. It was just starting then. But there was very few. Nobody on the bench was ever in the video or anything like that. And then as time went on, that happened. So 19 years, you'll be going into your 19th year, Yeah, here, here in Indiana. Yeah. yeah, so you've been an advanced scout here for 19 years. Advanced right. scout, what's the best way to explain that uh, to all well, those folks? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot goes into preparing for the teams you're going to play. I mean, the coaches watch a lot of video, and, you know, they try to get ready. for. And each coach has a team. Uh, so if you have three assistant coaches, it'll be divided into maybe, you know, nine, ten teams each. What I do is I go out and I'll go, I scout them all. I'll scout, 
we're going to play Cleveland. I go to Cleveland and I see them play, and I'll probably two weeks ahead of time. right? No, even not that long. You no. know, the first time we play, you know, we'll play Cleveland. Let's say three times during the year. The first time I got to see him twice. The second time, I only see him once. So maybe the, when I see, because in order to see them twice, I might have to go like 10 days ahead, and then I go three days ahead. You know, the, the, the last time I see them, I, I see them just before we're going to play them. Now, um, the next time I see them again, I'll see them close to the same, or three days, and I won't do it 10 days out. But because I have to see 29 teams, you know, each assistant coach only has right. 10, but I got to do all 29. So I stay on the road quite a long time, you know. I mean, 22, 24 days a month I'm on the road during the season trying to see all these teams twice. Mm-hmm. And then after I've seen them once, I'll see them. After I've done every team, gone through the whole league, I'll only go back and see them once. But then I'll watch tape on them. So I've got to report to all three coaches on each team. So, um, you know, my situation is that it's, it's, it's a lot of travel and, um, you know, and deadlines, getting all, the, all this stuff in. And basically what I do is I try to, you know, just build up their playbook, you know, get all their calls. And, their, and their, that's why we see opponents know the opponents play calls so well, especially the point guards yeah. that have been around. They know right. the thumbs up or one four, what that is exactly. because yeah. of guys like you. Right setting up the playbook right. for them to then right. share with their and, team. And if you watch our team and if you're down low in, in the arena, you'll see Dan Burke yelling out, you know, floppy, floppy, or, you know, fist up. <clears throat> you know, he, he hears what the other coach is ready to say. So now our guys know what's coming, and we can prepare defensively how we're going to attack the pick and roll or the pin down, you know. Uh, so that's pretty much the, basically you can describe my job is to get all that information to, to each coach so when it's their team, we know what to do when they start to come up to court. So is it fair to say you're watching the plays, the sets, the play calls, less so evaluating other teams' players, et cetera? Yes. Because that's I, another role within yeah, the that's Yeah. You know, I, it used to be where I would um, I'd also do the personnel, but, you know, with so much video and there's so many cameras around the court mm-hmm. – that we now just take clips off of all the, the views you can get watching the game, and we do video clips. And in the past, we used to do writing, you know, the players, the tendencies. But now we have video to do all that. So I tried not – I don't watch the players' tendencies anymore. I spend a lot of time basically trying to get all the calls, and I do all the diagrams. I diagram every play. So by the end of the season – I have a pl- I have their playbook in, in my computer. You know? No, but you actually do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I've seen them so many times, and you know I've, I've you know diagram plays after plays after plays. So I'll go watch the game, and then I go back to the hotel and I rewatch the game and I, confirm what you what I saw into the computer exactly, and I correct all my mistakes that I maybe was because the game is so fast yeah. that I'll just correct it when I get back to the hotel. And then that night, I get all the information in. With the the change in seating arrangements at different venues, as they look to have more courtside seats, more sponsorships, that takes away media seating and it takes away scouting. Now, most places I've heard are still good about getting scouts a courtside yeah, seat for the most part. I, I, How does having a better seat versus a club level type yeah. seat impact what you're doing in your accuracy? Uh, it, it it absolutely impacts it. 
in a big way. I mean, I can't really go. You know, when you say to me, do you, do, do you go two weeks out? Well, if I went two weeks out, they'll put me up. You have to be the next opponent. Each arena gives you two seats. And if there are 29 teams, there's only about 23 of them that give you good seats. There's four or five okay. teams that don't give us, they won't give you a seat. Who's the worst? Um, you know, it used to vary. Boston? They, I just no, think no. from a broadcasting standpoint, they are terrible. No, so. no. Boston will give you two courtside seats, okay. and then they have two corner seats, which are pretty good. You know, San Antonio's bad. They're going to put you up. Houston's bad. Utah's bad. Um, and there's four or five other teams that are not as bad as those, but not great. It's hard to do your job. But those other teams, there's 23 of them probably. It's enough for me to do my job. But I can't really do my job unless I'm the next opponent because only the next opponent gets the two. It's guaranteed that. Yeah, yeah. So that doesn't give me a lot of time to prepare for And you were talking about your deadlines earlier. I figured, say the Pacers have Cleveland in a week and a half. That's when you'd you'd be on it. You wouldn't be there a Friday before a Sunday game. I might see them, you know, a week out the first time, but I know I'm going to see them again in that next opponent seat yeah so i spend a month doing my schedule i've got to put a lot of thought into it but so you have full control over your full schedule control. where you yeah. are oh, when yeah, you get yeah. places where you stay yeah. probably even where i at stay this point. everything everything <laughs> you know yeah is that I, september for yeah, you yeah when the schedule comes out in august okay. i start on it and it and it takes me into september and at the end of the, you know, when I'm finished with my schedule, I've gone through that thing ten times trying to figure out, you know, should I be in Cleveland, should I be in Atlanta, you know, is it practical for me to go to Cleveland here? I don't want to go from Atlanta to Portland. It's just too long. Maybe I'll stop in between, you know, to Denver so it cuts the flight down and I can catch a game in Denver because I've got to see a lot of teams. Do you have your handful of teams where you're just – very good friends with them. Hey, I can always get a seat in Denver. Or no, no. Minnesota always takes no, care of me. No, where I do, where I do have an advantage is, is, is no, no. They're, they're all going to do what they do. It's, okay. it's across the board. But what happens is, is if I go to Minnesota and I'm way out, and the guy on chances are, because I've been doing this so long, the guy who has the good seat on the table will help me, the okay. opponent. Yeah. So we, we, we help each other. It's not just because we're playing Cleveland. The Cleveland scout's going to help me because he knows I'll be in that position. And he'll need help. So between, you know, uh, trying to see all these teams and not having good seats, I'm almost guaranteed where I can pick up the phone and say, hey, you know, Tom, you were in Minnesota last night. You know, I mean, I, 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 I couldn't make it. And, but I watched the game, and I saw two or three plays. Could you tell me what they're calling? And he tells me. Because he knows if he's going to be in the same seat. We're all in that boat. Let's just help each other out. We're traveling enough. Right. We have dirt headlines. Let's yeah, just help each other out. And that's pretty yeah. standard across the, in the NBA. And there's a lot of us that have been doing this for a long time. So it's not like someone's new. Sometimes when someone's new, they're a little reluctant. You know, they don't know anybody. Very Probably today's marketplace you, they're probably a little aggressive and protective of their info yeah and where sometimes you guys maybe old more old school where yeah let's just open it up we have yeah. we have nothing special here. right and and it benefits us because those guys who act like that they get nothing once he says no no one will help him and he can't be in two places at one time yeah. so you really have to and, and that very rarely happens you know that for a Saturday game, when when's your deadline for the head, for the coaching staff? When do you need to get your scouting report in there for them? 
Um, usually, by the time the the game before we play that team ends, they want it then. I mean, okay. So if there's a back to back, it could be for as late as Friday night. If there's a back to back, no, I've got to have that in. Uh, well, if, the, if 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 we're playing Cleveland on Friday night and then we're playing Dallas on Saturday, um, I got to have that Dallas in on Thursday. You know, I mean, and then I'll have the the Friday night game in on Wednesday. That's as late as I can have it, you know. See, I've had – it really depends on the assistant coaches. There's a lot – you know, Dan Burke is great because he, he – And you two have been around yeah. 20 years. And, and Dan together. really studies the teams. He knows the teams, you know. And Popeye's been great and, you know, and, and uh, Jim Boyle and all these guys. They've been good. They never really pressured me to say I want it like a week before because you really can't get a good report in a week before because you're not going to be accurate on your stuff. They know I have to wait to the almost it's pretty close, at least three days out. I, to give you a fan number, I, no later than three days before we play a team should I have not have my stuff in. I got to have something in, you know. Every now and then I'll I'll see a team on a back to back, but I'll I'll, I'll have, and and give them the, the the report the next day. Yeah. But I've already given something else. You know, I would never give them not have. I've, I've already seen them in a different, you know, venue. How has your role with technology changed? Because I'm sure maybe 15 years ago, you're handwriting everything and then maybe having to type it in. Now I think it's all digital where you're there in it with a program at your computer. Oh, yeah, what yeah. What is it like for you right now? <laughs> I started out when, when I used to sit there watching the flow of the game, diagramming a play. <laughs> you know, I mean, that was unbelievable. And, and do all advanced scouts use the exact same program too? Yeah, yeah okay. we all use what's called fast draw. But yeah, when I first started out, it was it was handwritten. Then the computers came in, and as it came in, I learned the programs, and and they're just in, with the new technology, better programs came in. And um, but it was interesting when the fir- we first started with computers, is that I'd be doing work, and I'd be up till three, four in the morning, because so I had to do extensive reports, and I'd hit like a button, and I'd lose all my stuff. Oh. And there was probably, you know, maybe six or seven nights over the years. I had to stay up all night and redo it. That's when computers weren't like they are now. Now everything's backed up, mm-hmm. you know, so. Thank oh, God. we all had that. I Writing papers or something. Yeah, yeah. And you're three pages in and something happened. Exactly. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that was, those are nightmares. I mean, I was like. At 2 o'clock in the morning, I was ready to jump out the window. You know, I knew I had to start all over again, and I wasn't going to sleep that night. That was in the early days. And the coaches need your report. To oh, it had to be in the next day. That, yeah, for that shoot-around probably yeah. at the latest yeah, there yeah. to get into it. Exactly. So, From a traveling standpoint, what are your conditions? I'm sure at this point you might have enough points where you travel enough where you're first class everywhere. Well, not, on, on not, I, I'd say, you know, 30% of the time I'll get bumped up. You'd be surprised. Do you prefer one airline? Do you have no, one that you always you know, try to tell no, Tampa I, to go know, to? I, I like Delta because I have the most seniority on it, so I'll get bumped up more on sure. Delta. And the thing is, is when you're in these hubs, it does. You know, I don't have enough points because so many people fly. You know what I mean? Like I don't have the highest status. Be- mm-hmm. I mean, if I lived in a hub, you would get the highest status because you're always on that same airline. I don't live in a hub. I live in. I fly out of Hartford, Connecticut, and it has all the airlines, but there's no hub. You're but, out of Hartford? Yeah. Oh, traveling with the fever, I know that's a pain. Especially yeah. to here, because there are zero direct flights. No, there's flights. no direct flights. But, I, but I, I don't come here as much as I go to, 
you know, other cities. And there's a lot of direct mm -hmm. flights to the bigger cities. I mean, I can go as far west as Denver and even L.A. now uh, out of Hartford. But if you lived in Miami or Chicago, where, yeah. where Americans based, or you lived in Atlanta or uh, Salt Lake City where Atlanta's, you're always flying that airline, always. So you get the highest status, so you're always getting bumped up. That's the drawback with me. I'm not in a hub. So I have high status. Did you, have, did you ever consider moving to a different no, for that no, reason? No, 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 because we had a home in, in Springfield, Massachusetts, where my, I met my wife. And, nice. I, and so we decided to stay there, you know. No, and I, live I have a lot of advantages. I live about 15 miles from the airport. I take a farm road. I have no traffic. I don't deal with any of that stuff. You've got to have this system down, don't yeah, you? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I have it Park down. in the same place. Same place, same place. <laughs> So all that, yeah, that, all that's good. The only thing is I don't get bumped up is some of the other guys that live in hubs, like Detroit. You know, that's a hub. It's fair to say you got millions of points, though? I do have a lot of points. <laughs> I have most of my points on three airlines. Now, if I could put that all on one, I'd be fine. Now, as a veteran traveler, do you pile them up or do you use them? I do use them. Not, I, I still have a lot. You know, me and my wife are going to go to Europe this summer. So I'll use them there. The yeah. challenge for you and, and like a lot of people in the NBA, I got to guess, though, is in the offseason, sometimes the last thing you want to do is travel. It is. I don't want to travel. I don't, and I don't. But I do take one trip a year. Like this year, we're going to go to Europe. So I'll use a nice. lot of points. I use hotel points. You know, so I, I do use them. But I, I, I've still accumulated a lot, you know. And um, so that, that's one of the perks. When it comes to your job, why, why have you stayed with it for so long, considering the challenges that go into it yeah, and, and not yeah, allowing no, you to live a yeah, quote-unquote normal, normal life? life? Yeah, you know, I, 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 I've always, a lot of times I've asked myself the same question, you know, because I, you know, I do miss coaching a little, but I think it always comes back to the security of it. You know, I'm in the NBA. I work for a great organization. Um, granted, I have one of the tougher jobs. But, you know, what's the alternative to live like a gypsy, you know, you know, coach here for two or three years and then be somewhere else and somewhere else? I didn't want to go that route. Not many people have the advantage of Dan Burke. Dan Burke is very unique in the NBA. 19 years, going on his 20th, 20th year as yeah. an assistant coach. You can do it as a scout, but as an assistant coach, I think if you look that up, you, you might not find that anybody's ever done that anywhere, you know. I mean, really. I mean, there are very few people that can last in one place. You, there's an average. It could be three, four years in one place, and then you move on and move on. You know, and I, I didn't want to do that, you know. So I, I kind of have been attached to this organization in a different capacity where it's possible to do that. And even in mine, because advanced scouts... They're, they're, they're attached to the coach. So I've gone through six coaches. So one of those coaches could have said, I don't want him. Or I got my own guy. I'm bringing my, him in. I got my own guy. Where in personnel, he's attached to the general manager and the president. So I, I've been a little fortunate, and I've, and I've always worked. I've never had a, a point where I've been out of work, you know. And I've done, and I'm in the NBA, and I'm doing X's and O's, which I like, basketball. So... It's been fine, you know. It's been a nice, nice, nice run. And uh, like I said, uh, if it was another organization, I probably would have been somewhere else. But it's Indiana, and it's been great. 
Jimmy, how does a different head coach and his staff affect what you're doing? Each coach is different. Uh, there's, a, there's a theme of it being the same, but uh, each coach has his own way of doing things. But, um, you know, my, my, where I've been lucky is that I've been with Dan, and Dan's been doing this for 19 years, so I kind of answer to Dan. Uh, and Dan coordinates all the scouting, so we've been in, do, doing things the same way for a long time. We got to talk about Dan. What what makes him so special? <laughs> for, from the fan standpoint, they see him do an interview every three yeah, games or so. He's pretty quirky, <laughs> and he's just himself. He tells you tells you how it is, and it's, that's the legend of Dan Burke. Yeah. For someone that works with him for so long. Yeah. And knows his brain for the game. Yeah, yeah. I, what I, sticks out to you? Yeah, I, I think his knowledge of the game, I think he's very well um, in tuned with, with, with the NBA and um, player relationships. Um, you know, defense is his thing. Um, he's a real student. He's a, and, but, I, but I think that that's all good and well, but what he is is he's a really hard worker. He puts time in. He puts hours in. And I think that's why he's been able to last so long, not because he's good at what he does. He's very conscientious, and he works very hard. And I think that people see that, and um, they say, you know, we can't afford to lose this guy. You know, there's a new coach coming in. Let's ask the new coach, you know, let's tell him, we really like this guy. Would you keep him? And that's been Dan's story. Every time there's been a change, it's basically been either Donnie or Larry saying, this guy is good at what he does. You know, you can bring in your guys, but well, we want you to keep this guy. We heard Larry say, hey, I, I know free agency's coming up in a month and a half. Dan's my first free agent. Right. <laughs> and that's, you can't get a better compliment than that. I mean, the president and Larry Bird. And knowing Larry and how he shoots straight most of the time. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and, not, and, and Larry's perspective on the game, you know, and he looks at Dan as, hey, He's an extension of me. I want him. As long as I'm here, I want Dan here. And I'm going to do what it takes to keep him. And he has. And, and we should give credit to Larry yeah. and Mr. Simon, yeah. too, that they've been willing to do that. Yeah. But don't just think this is the only place. He could go a lot. There's a lot of people that want him. That's what I want. Next thing I want to get into. Are you surprised he hasn't got a head coaching opportunity? Or at least he hasn't taken Absolutely. Head coaching opportunity? Absolutely. But I think it's more Dan not being aggressive going. I think he's been very happy living here, working for the Pacers and, 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 his, and his family life, which is very, you know, important to him. And he had young kids. But I think he's at the stage now where he's going to start looking. But and he, he should. His daughters are out. It, I think he's got, yeah, his youngest it, is in he college. Sh he should point. because I've watched over the years guys get head coaching jobs that are not better than him. You know, I mean, he's, you know, a lot of his contemporaries, guys that were assistants along with him, you know, the Spolsters, the, the you know, the um, Thibodeaux, the, you know, all those guys. They're all guys that he grew up with being assistants with. They're, but he chose not to take that route. But I think he knows that if he wants to be a head coach, you know, that it's, it's got to happen in the next few years. And, um, you know, that's really his call, you know. I mean, he's... He's missed out a pretty good life, you know, being an assistant coach here in Indiana. And afforded that stability that's right. not very yeah. often and if the afforded to and, other and assistant if, coaches. if for some reason another coach ever came in here, he'd have a job waiting for him somewhere else. So he's never going to be unemployed. And that's a pretty good thing, too. You know, being a head coach in the NBA is a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. You coach 82 games, it's night in and night out, and 
it's a hard, hard job. They talk all the time about the sleepless nights. Yeah. That's one of the biggest changes. You right. have to be to your responsibilities. You hear the criticism yeah. or the positiveness if you win. Yeah. But it's those sleepless yeah. nights that the yeah. call you didn't play or yeah. wasn't executed properly. Exactly. So, you know, it's not for everybody. And I think, you know, if he wants to go that route, and he's going to probably make that decision in the next three to five years. Every once in a while, we, I get tweets from fans, hey, who's the new guy behind the bench? <laughs> Every once in a while, you catch up with the team yeah. while on the road. When you do, what are you doing? Are you just joining the team yeah. up to talk with the assistant coaches? Yeah, I'm usually in the area. <laughs> so if we're playing Phoenix, maybe I was in just I was there wait, scouting, waiting for them to come in, or I was in L.A. and I'll just fly over. I'll do that more than I'll come here. I'll, I'll be on the road more with the team, and it's not a lot but more I, than I will be here. But I'll always come back during the playoffs. I'll be here a lot during the playoffs. I was going to say, and during the playoffs, we see you all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'll go back and forth because I'll be at the other series, and as soon as the game ends, I'll come back here. So I'm going back and forth. So, yeah, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not maybe 10 games during the season and then the playoffs. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, and I enjoy that because I like to connect with them, you know, because... You're probably sending thousands of emails, emails and texts is, yeah, and calls right yeah there's nothing like face-to-face yeah, interaction yeah, to you, get things done and, or and, and i also like the interaction with the players you know i, I want to be able to you know just what relationships do you have with you know it's, some of the players? it's pretty good because i've been here so long good with the ones who've been here long you know which is which is sadly right now it's kind of paul yeah paul i was yeah. going through the lineup and it was paul then george hill yeah and, yeah, yeah and <laughs> george was here and 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 you know, even Miles. Miles is such a personality and such a great kid, you know. He, he's easy to get friendly. You know, I feel like I've known him, you know, and he's just here one year. Joe Young, good kids, really good kids. Some are aloof and in, into their own thing, and but those guys are very personable. So it's always really how they react to me. And it's been good over the years, though, because, you know, we had a lot of stability for a while, same guys. You know, the mm-hmm. Jeff Fosters of the yep. world and all that. You know, Reggie and all those guys. So I was around, all, you know. But there's been a lot of turnover lately. Continuity is one thing. And you're the proof of that. 19 years yeah. here with this organization. Yeah. Jimmy, I appreciate you taking okay, the Okay, I appreciate here. you having me. What a fun conversation that was. Being joined by Jimmy Powell. longtime guy in the organization. And as we talked about, he's not around physically a lot with the team. But boy, does he have quite an impact on what the Pacers are doing game in and game out. My shout out to this week goes to some of the Pacers staffers, former and current ones. As I reported on VigilantSports.com a couple weeks ago, there were several changes made to the Pacers basketball operations staff. Notably, Hanson Wong had been the head video coordinator for the Pacers the last four seasons. He has been promoted to the director of basketball information and technologies. Taking over his role is newcomer Tim Dather, who's undergraduate and graduate manager for the IU men's basketball team recently. A local guy from Hamilton Southeastern, he takes over as head video coordinator. Meantime, the Pacers had three assistant video coordinators. No longer. Currently, they have two as they parted ways, and I'm going to botch the last name, but Michael DiBenedito uh, moved on and is no longer on the staff. Also, I got to give a shout out to the team's massage therapist for the last several years, Fadi. I really got to know him and uh, enjoyed his company because he was there every single day and before every game, he'd be stretching out the guys and more so 
massaging their bodies, getting them prepared, and keeping them well throughout an 82-game regular season schedule. Also noteworthy, assistant trainer Carl Eaton got a new title. He's now the associate head athletic trainer slash physical therapist. And also strength coach Sean Winnell saw his title change to director of sports performance slash assistant athletic trainer. Lastly, the Pacers hired a new director of team security. It's Joe Smith who steps in, replacing longtime director of security, John Gray. Whatever sport it is, in the offseason, there's good news and bad news. Some lose their job. Some guys get promotions. Other guys are brought in. And that was no exception here with the Indiana Pacers. To listen to new and archived episodes of the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast, subscribe on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, however you prefer to consume podcasts. And if you have a moment, I would really appreciate you taking a minute to leave a review for us on your favorite player. That helps us, and it means a lot to me as well. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. I'll talk to you again next week.